Compared to other parts of the country, Southwest Virginia is in many ways just beginning to grapple with questions of gender identity, from toxic masculinity to the changing roles of women in the workforce. However, the area of greatest challenge for residents of this region is in dealing with its LGBTQ community, especially transgender individuals. Today, WEHC presents the third of a three-part series dealing with gender identity. The focus of this report is on the region's transgender community. We look at the plight of this group through the eyes of Ashlyn Bailey, a local transgender female who works actively in support of transgender individuals. We explore the ways that transgender people are perceived in this region, their challenges, and the ways they are speaking out. We also discuss how an understanding of transgender people is forcing a discussion about the complexity of gender identity. Ashlyn Bailey is happier now than she has ever been in her life. Before she began to openly identify as female, she was married to a woman, became a parent of two children, and served in the military. In high school, she was considered a highly talented football player. At the same time, she grew up in a conservative family and was raised by a strict father who continues to struggle with Ashlyn's gender identity. I grew up in rural Louisiana uh, in a very fundamentalist Christian household, Southern Baptist. Um, so I was very naive and, well, maybe not naive, but I was ignorant of any way to express how I was feeling. And I learned from a very young age that if I did not behave in the, the expected uh, way around my father, uh, there would be corrective, uh, as the military calls it, corrective actions taken. Mm -hmm. You know, I was always taught, boys don't cry uh, don't throw like a girl. Don't run mm -hmm. like a girl. Uh, boys don't show emotion. You, know, you got to be tough. All of these things. So I learned very early to hide and to be ashamed of how I felt and stuff. And I didn't have a frame of reference other than I did not like being treated like this. I liked when I, my sister and my female cousins, I felt comfortable doing the things that they did, being around them. How traumatizing is it for a young person, though, to be scolded for being something they are? Did it's you... extremely traumatizing. I mean, I still, I mean, I'm telling my age, I'm 48 years old, and I still, when I do certain things, I'm still working through overcoming some of those lessons that I was taught so young. Because, I mean, it was just at that age ingrained in me. When I turned 12, that's when things really started. You know, puberty was starting to set in, and I was realizing my dream. You know, I still held out hope that, you know, I would wake up one morning and everything would be right. As puberty was setting in, it, I realized those changes that I wanted were not happening. So being Christian household, you know, I was taught that if you pray hard enough and you want it, God can make anything happen for you. So every night I prayed three things. My first prayer was that when I woke up in the morning, I would be female in body, mind, um, completely. And so I could be happy. 
Second, if if God wouldn't do that for me, that he would at least make me feel more like a boy and, and be happy in the body I had. And if you wouldn't do those two things, then just don't let me wake up at all. Ashlyn lived with her father after her parents divorced. It was her father's influence that led Ashlyn to participate in football and the military, in spite of the fact that she identified early in her youth as female. He pushed me to be that stereotypical Southern redneck man's man. He, he hated LGBTQ people with a passion. It sounds like you identified early on as female. Oh, yes, absolutely. When did um, you fully embrace it? Though? All my life, I've had some issues with, like, exercise and stuff, but nobody ever figured out back in 2006 time frame, my health got really bad, and they couldn't figure out why. And between 2006, 2007, I went to a bunch of different doctors, but then I finally went to the VA, and they figured out that... Um, I was diabetic, and it had gotten so bad, my body had actually started shutting down. They sent me, they rushed me to the hospital because my blood pressure had gone up to 240 over 180, um, and my blood sugar was over 500. So I'm laying in the hospital, and the doctors are telling me I should be dead. And I'll, I was going blind. I mean, it was a very traumatic, you know, and I was, I was because of how bad I felt, um, plus the depression uh, and, and the self-loathing I had because of growing up and being trans and not having anybody I could ever tell that to. I was at the lowest point of my life at that point and all. And uh, it's the closest I've ever come. I, I actually at one point had the knife in my hand. But then I got in the hospital and got some help and they got me go. you know, they got my health going. But while I was in the hospital that time and I was supposed to be dead, I said, you know, I have not been happy my entire life. I need, I, I've got to change things. So that week that I spent in the hospital, I actually got online. Thankfully, we had the internet by then. And I was able to find information and, and people who I could talk to. Was that the first time? This was the first time I had ever, other than the only other time I ever said anything even remotely about it was I came out to my wife at the time, shortly after our second child was born, and uh, she was adamantly against it. Ashlyn lives now in Johnson City, which many in the regional transgender community consider an oasis in what often seems to be a desert of non-acceptance. She works with an organization called TCT, or the Transgender Community of the Tri-Cities, which seeks to advance an understanding of transgender people throughout Southwest Virginia and East Tennessee. Now, I have the occasional person that just wants to be, uh, we'll, we'll not say the words there, but just, just wants to try and, you know, show their superiority and, uh, tell me what a terrible person I am, or just throw little jabs at me as they walk by. But those are minor. I've had people come up um, to our organization uh, and, and tell us about their grandchildren and asking us questions and wanting to learn more so that they can be supportive 
you know, and that was to me one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen because I didn't have that growing up. I'll, I'll take my uh, grandmother on my father's side up until a few years ago sent me birthday and Christmas cards to tell me I was going to hell. You know, this is, you know, good Christian people. And, you know, telling me that uh, it's it's good that I left town because uh, somebody probably would have killed me if I'd have stayed. And she's probably right. As she works for a better life for others in the transgender community, Ashlyn is finding greater acceptance among her own family members. She enjoys the support of her children, and she enjoys a much stronger relationship with her mother. I'm as happy as I can be. I mean, you know, I have issues like everybody. There's... Um, I unfortunately do not have access to all of the treatments that I would need. Uh, They're still expensive. It takes forever to be able to get onto the books of a physician to have procedures done and stuff like that. But I will will say my mother, who was very against it at the beginning, she doesn't understand. She didn't know how to do it. But... um, she kept in contact with me. We talked. We, you know, we had some setbacks. We had gains. Um, but I finally, after more than five years of being in transition, finally went home for the first time and saw my family. And I was sitting on the couch, and we were having a heart-to-heart that had been a long time coming. And she looked at me, and she said, finally, she just said, you know, you actually finally seem happy, and I am because I'm not. I'm not sitting worried about what's going to happen to me if I slip and somebody finds out the thoughts that are in my head, or you know if I say the wrong thing. Now I still have to. Um, I'm still worried about you know my safety in certain situations and all, but. Thankfully, I mean, in my case, I do have quite a bit of privilege. I'm six foot one, I'm 280 pounds, and I'm built like a linebacker. So people don't confront me very often. And when they do, they do it fairly respectfully. I'm not as scared for my safety as a lot of trans people are. The safety and well-being of transgender people in this community is a growing concern for the larger LGBTQ community are, um, you know, our trans community, um, as I'm sure we've seen in recent news, our state, as long as, as well as several other states have um, passed several bills, um, anti-trans bills very recently within the last month, couple of months. Um, So that, of course, is a big challenge. Melody Taylor is the vice president of TriPride, a regional organization that seeks to raise awareness about the LGBTQ community in this area. She says the organization has identified the needs of the trans community as a priority for its support, especially for transgender people of color. I just find race topics in this area in general to be very sensitive, um, and they're a little hard to broach in, in some in some aspects, I think it's almost easier to broach um, LGBTQ plus topics with people um, in the community and kind of have more of a dialogue. And I find people tend to get really defensive when you bring race into it. But 
um, you know, when we're looking at our community, that is a double minority that's facing oppression on both ends. It is important for the LGBTQ community to rally in support of transgender individuals, according to Dr. Tracy Cohn, a professor of psychology at Radford University who has done extensive research in the areas of gender identity and sexuality. We certainly know it has taken a long time for gay and lesbian and bisexuals to get the rights that they deserve, right? Like those are rights that individuals deserve. And it seems like transgender is a little new in terms of like kids on the playground. It's getting, it's taking a while for them to get the traction. Um, and I think one of the unfortunate things that happens is in the LGBT community, we tend to silo, right? So we tend not to think about how, what, um, gay people are doing impacts trans people, because again, we're thinking about it in a really siloed way. Transgender people evoke strong emotional reactions from people with unfounded fears, according to Cohn. What is the fear about? And I think when you start asking those questions, you find out there's not a lot of um, truth to some of these fears. This idea that if we allow someone into the appropriate restroom, that they identify with, that we're somehow going to see an increase of sexual violence. That has nothing to do with transgender people and has everything to do how we're socializing boys, right? It, it, the fear is if we allow someone that maybe is genetically male but identifies as female, right? If we allow that person into a woman's restroom, which seems sensible, right? This person identifies as a woman, why wouldn't they use the woman's restroom? That if we allow that genetic male into the bathroom, there's going to be this increase in sexual violence. That's not about transgender issues. That's about how we're socializing men and boys to be sexual beings in the world. Our culture, we have this notion, and I think this connects to some of the fear about trans folks, is we have this notion that um, it's the scary boogeyman around the corner in the dark alley, and that's going to that's going to be the person who does sexual violence to our children. That is not what the science tells us. The science tells us the person who's engaging in sexual violence towards children are people we know frequently on a daily basis, and sometimes we're living with them. So this fear is irrational, and it's not grounded in reality. It's an immediate sort of emotional response, but we need people to start exploring that fear. What is that fear connected to? Is it grounded in science? And we have really good science to guide us in answering some of these questions. It's all about expectation. And I'll don't automatically throw expectations onto people before you get to know them. Ashlyn Bailey hopes that people come to understand that gender identity and sexual orientation are naturally complex issues that defy simple categorizations and therefore require enlightened responses. There was a time where I would not have been able to transition because I don't like wearing skirts and stuff, and I'm attracted to women still. That's another important point to make, that a gender identity is not the same as, as sexual, sexual identity. orientation. orientation. Yes. yes, they're two completely separate things. And once you understand that, I mean, uh, gender identity is who I go to bed as. Sexual orientation is who I go to bed with. And there's so many things. I am I'm romantically attracted to women. I am physically attracted to, me, to women 
and the occasional man. You know, Jason Momoa will, you know, he's just got wonderful eyes. You know, so it's it's the biggest thing that I try to tell people is the less we assume about people and just get to know them, the happier everyone's going to be. You know, because how many uh, assumptions that we've made about people over the years have caused issues because our assumptions were totally wrong. Recently, conservatives in politics and the media have expressed concerns about the possibility that an increasing number of transgender females will seek to compete in women's sports. They fear that transgender women will have an unfair advantage. For many decades, however, transgender women have been competing in women's sports, rarely with any complaint from women athletes who are cisgender. In other words, women who identify with the gender that they were at birth. For Ashlyn, a former athlete, the issue is an important one. Before puberty hits, males and females, regardless of gender identity, their athletic ability is equal and all. It really comes down to who is your training and stuff, which sadly in the sports world, we focus on the boys, okay? That's the things. The boys get the training and the whole don't throw like a girl. Well, growing up, until somebody shows you a proper way to do it, everybody throws like a girl because that's just the natural way people throw things and all without learning and, and, and lots of extensive training. Now, when puberty hits, yes, there are some uh, testosterone is a powerful drug, um, and I will acknowledge that. But it's not the end-all, be-all. Um, you know, back in the day, Royce Gracie fighting uh, people three times his size and absolutely dominating. It's, it, it's about skill. It's about training. There were women in the military that could whip me. Here's my t- test for whether or not uh, trans people uh, are a threat to women's sports. Trans people have been allowed to compete in the Olympics for over a decade. How many trans women do you know that have won any medals in Olympic sports? None. Because when you get to that level of athletics, the differences go away. If we're to resolve this, the solution is to do genetic screens on everyone who participates in athletics. There's a lot of genetic variation, right? Like it's just not XY or um, XX, it can be XYY. The genetic variation is immense and we don't require everyone to submit to genetic screening. This feels like a moved issue to me. Like let people participate in the sport that they identify with, right? If you think about it, if someone has transitioned, um, let's say, Um, a genetic male, right? So they identify as XY and they're transitioning to be female. Some of those individuals might be taking um, testosterone blockers and then taking estrogen supplements as well. And we certainly know when that happens, right? There's lots of changes that happen with the body, muscle mass changes, all is that, all of that. So to me, it's like, what what is the issue here? Is it about fairness? Well, then I think there's other ways to measure fairness. Is it about equity? Okay, I think there are other alternatives to ensure equity in sports. So I always want to understand like, like what is the underlying fear? Is it people cheating? What is, what is this about? Is it about doping? And so I, I'm not clear 
and I don't think the general population is clear, is what, what is the real core issue here? And, and we're not talking about trans women who have just started transitioning. We're talking about trans people that have been in transition for years. They're on estrogen. They do not have the testosterone levels. Yes, they may have some of the effects of testosterone, but I, I can tell you my strength level has dropped so much because of my test, uh, lack of testosterone now. It's a huge difference. Yeah, I still got a bone structure, that, but there are plenty of cis women out there who have a bone structure. My ex-mother-in-law wore the same size clothes as me. She was as tall as I was. I mean, she was just a large woman. We traded clothes for a while. It was actually pretty cool. As the fight for transgender rights moves forward, the community seeks allies, first among the broader LGBTQ community. Taylor says the Tri-Pride organization is committed to that alliance. It, it is not as safe, um, you know, especially within the trans community and that trans people of color to maybe be the face. So it kind of gives us an opportunity and specifically as Tri-Pride to act in the role of ally in that sense. So we just try to have, have a presence at um, events that are ran, organized by people of color for a, a various reasons. Um, but we can show up in that aspect of an ally and say, we're here to support you. You know, we, we accept you. We're, we're here for what you need. Um, and so I think that's kind of a role we play in there until maybe one day um, we can make this area safe enough for them to come out more um, and be that face to speak on those topics. Ultimately, passionate members of all communities need to stand up, says Cohn. And they must do so with a commitment that is brave and consistent, especially for individuals whose gender identity intersects with other identities, such as race. I think a lot of what we see happening with the, the Black Lives Matter um, will eventually start to trickle into other communities that are working on aspects of intersectionality. One of the things we look at is this identity of minority stress theory. And minority stress theory, I think, is a super helpful concept to consider in talking about trans and, and individuals who, who live in the world with intersection, intersectionality. Um, it can be helpful to think about just the everyday stressors that come from living with multiple identities. So you aren't just living as a black person, you're living as a black trans person. And the, the, the complexity that comes from living in a racialized world, that comes from living in a transphobic world. And let's say you segment that further and you're black and trans and you're gay and the everyday stressors that come from that and the wear and tear that happens to your body and your soul and your spirit or whatever we're going to characterize and how that sort of wears away. So I think what we're starting to see with Black Lives Matter and other, um, uh, other ad, uh, advocacy um, action and community action, I think we'll probably see it move into the transgender community as well as we start thinking of intersectionality. Intersectionality 
is a new term that we're just starting to, to really talk about. It's been around for a while, but we're just starting to think about, oh yeah, what happens when you have those multiple identities, right? How does that impact you? Um, does it actually provide more resources or does it strain you? So I, I think it's a bit of wait and see, like what's going to happen? And so I think the role of allies is not necessarily to push forward, but stand next to or stand behind. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the model that we look at right now is how do we connect to other organizations? Um, how do we do the work necessary to be a good ally? And I think to do the work necessary to be a good ally is to read, is to study, is to um, ask questions. It's to get on Instagram and find people who identify as trans who are talking about their story. This cannot be a passive sort of activity. You have to be active and you have to work at it. The struggle for transgender acceptance remains a very arduous and frightening one, according to Ashlyn. In the past, the LGBTQ community has struggled for rights based on the notion that its members are not unlike those in the straight community. But as the transgender community pushes forward, it makes a case that is different from that which was once made by the LGBTQ community. In the last 10 years, there has been a bit of a pivot away from that notion of similarity. We are different from you, right? Like we deserve the same rights and we are different. And it is a very powerful, it is a very um, empowering approach that I think many LGBT individuals, including non-binary folks are really taking and saying, we don't have to be the same as you to deserve the same rights. That simply because we exist and we are human beings, we deserve the same rights. And I think you start to see that some of the states are now turning away from this idea of, you know, on your driver's license, you have to indicate whether or not you're male or female. Now they're creating a third column. I'm not sure the third column is necessarily the best way to go, right? Do we need it to even say male or female on our driver's license? So you're starting to see some of those shifts. And when you start to see shifts, I, I always tell my clients, when you start to see shifts in official documents, you know bigger changes are coming. Insurance companies are starting to shift away from requiring um, identifying as male or female on that paperwork. So I think these are sort of some of the shifts that we're seeing. Body image has for a long time been a focus of the discussion around the transgender community. Does a transgender female pass as a woman who was born female? But as the complexities of gender identity come to light, the discussions about gender identity are changing, even in rural America. So we have moved away from this notion that people need to be able to pass if they're transgender. And instead, we have this notion of essentially gender as a performance. How are you living your role as a man? How are you performing your role as a female? And what has been interesting to me is I'm not just hearing it from trans people. I'm also hearing it from cisgender people who are saying, like, this is how I perform maleness. This is how I perform masculinity. And so um, what I think we're starting to see is um, masculine females right? And we're seeing feminine males, and that falls under this umbrella of gender expression. And we also have people who identify as non-binary, and that explodes some people's minds, right? Because we sort of think you are either male or female, you are a man or you're a woman, and we know that's not the way it works. So we no longer operate on this binary notion that that is no longer the model that we subscribe to right now. What is important to Ashlyn is that she be accepted as who she is, regardless of how she appears. 
And that acceptance begins with self-acceptance. A friend of mine came up with this idea that before you transition, it's like living on one lung. You could never take that full breath of air. And then when you finally transition and you get to that point to where you're feeling whole, you can finally breathe it in. You can finally get that breath of air. You feel whole for the first time in your life. When did you first have that feeling? Probably about two years ago. I got to the point where I was, I got rid of some of the preconceived notions that I had and was able to fully embrace again, you know, this is me. I'm not going to have that perfect little form that I would want. So when I got to that point, I became comfortable with being me and being seen and, and, and being out. And, and I realized that it's it's not about what other people think. It's about how I accept myself. And if other people accept me, great. If they don't, well, that's on them. It really is that simple. It's, it's just when you're finally able to fully embrace who you are, that's when you flourish. You have been listening to Together to Get There. Thank you for listening.